Thank you for the emails yesterday. Mike at 980cfpl.ca. They kept coming in, and they gave me a lot to read last night. There was a rather long email that gave me a lot to read. We are this week, like I promised, going to find out more about the teachings of the Quran and some of the statements that maybe people who are not of the Muslim faith tend to misconstrue. And that's, that's honestly it. Tend to misconstrue. You can misconstrue anything. You can take the Bible. You can take any religion's teachings. And if you want to look at them one way, you're going to find something that says, yes, this, this, is, this is the truth right here. This is what they meant. Because a lot of religious texts are a little on the ambiguous side. You know, we've got a, a lot of analogies in there. So we'll get to that likely tomorrow. But we'll go through some of the misconceptions involved in the Quran. Today, we're going to talk education. We are going to look at some changes to math. Remember when they brought in new math? I don't know if they ever did in Canada, though. I'll have to ask that. It was always a big thing in the United States. Base 10 math, wasn't it? Do we do that? Or base 12 math? I don't know. I'm not sure. I still struggle with the one plus three every once in a while. Or, how much is this actually worth? Those grocery stores, they sure can send your head spinning. Well, if one unit was priced out, it would be worth this much. So, therefore, I'm getting a deal, right? But there's 30 units here, and there's only 27 in that package. I'm not sure. So we're going to talk math. We are also going to talk about the sex ed curriculum and some of the changes. Maybe look a little bit at class sizes. Plus, we are going to talk about the aftermath of the Junos. In fact, in about 10 minutes from now, we are going to be joined by... Some of the stars of Fresh Radio, because one thing that we didn't get to do yesterday in the aftermath of the Junos was take you behind the scenes of a red carpet or take you behind the scenes of an after party. You know all the award shows? Well, you're going to the after party? I'm going to this after party. What after party are you going to? You can't get into those. You can't just show up and, hi, here for the after party? They don't let you in. You have to be on the list or... You have to be somebody. I don't know how it works. I've never been invited. So we're going to find out about after parties and what life is actually like on the red carpet. They will join us in studio to talk about that. We are also going to talk about the aftermath of the Junos in this way. What does this help us to get next? Because if we rewind time and we really need to pat London tourism and Tourism London and all of its incarnations on the back... Okay, we can go way, way back in time when they brought the Canada Summer Games to London in 2001. And that gave us what is now TD Stadium. And it gave us a number of different improvements. That was kind of that first step. Hey, we're a city that can host something like the Canada Summer Games. And that was a big, big deal. And then all of a sudden, the bid for the Memorial Cup came up in 2005. And then the bid for the World Figure Skating Championships. And we kept getting these things. Another Memorial Cup. And most recently, the Junos. Canadian Country Music Week as well. So we've had some major, major events. What's next? How do we, how do we continue this rise? Is there a rise? I mean, what would be next? 
The Grammys don't come to Canada, so we can't get them. What would it be? World Junior Hockey Championship? Maybe. Now, that's something that's been discussed before, but again, it kind of outgrew the size of London, where it was in venues that were 20,000 seats. It's been to Montreal and Toronto, off to Vancouver this past year. It's going back to Europe, Buffalo. These are NHL markets. We're not an NHL market, but we have impressed the socks off Hockey Canada. We have shown them what London is all about for a gala, for an exhibition game, you name it. Every time they come here, they just say, wow, they really do. And so now, what about a World Juniors? Because if the Junos, that normally goes to venues of 20,000, if the Junos can say, what about London? And it becomes an incredibly successful event. What do you think? Does that help us out? We're going to try and talk more about that in just a little while. And we're also going to talk some hockey. London Knights getting set to take on the Winter Spitfires. We'll take you through a year in the life of a management group in hockey where you start a season and you try to figure out what you have in front of you. And then the season goes along and you have to make some decisions. And then the season continues and there's more decisions. So we'll kind of take you behind the scenes on that. We'll talk with London Knights Associate General Manager Rob Simpson. And he'll take us through a year in the life of the London Knights. So that's coming up a little later on the show. And if we can catch John Stobie from Stobie's Pizza, we weren't able to catch up with him yesterday. You want to talk busy. Our Kells talk about Stobie's Pizza, and then the next day arrives, and people are eating Stobie's Pizza. So we'll let him get through the lunch rush now, and we'll try and get to John before the end of the show, because he's got a couple of cool stories still left over from the Junos. Lots to do. It is, of course, Federal Budget Day. Yeah. Is that how you feel about the federal budget? A lot of times, but this time, this time's different because it's an election year. Don't allow yourself to yawn at the federal budget. Ah, well, they're putting money into this and they're putting money into this. This has some big questions to it. What are they going to do for something like affordable housing? Where are they going to put money so that they can nail the lowest common denominator of the population? And I hate to say it, but that happens. They will take aim at where they can get votes. And we should go back yesterday to Al's phone call, because I loved Al's phone call on London Live, because we were talking about governments getting things done. New Zealand is changing their gun laws. Boom, 10 days. What, there's a hole in our gun laws? We're fixing that. Get out of the way. And that's what they're going to do. In Canada and the United States, I mean, you can't compare it for gun laws, but you can certainly compare it for a lot of other things that don't get done. And Al called and he hit it perfectly and he spelled it out beautifully because it comes down to partisan politics. It comes down to having to vote for your party. That's a joke. And every politician that votes with their party should be ashamed of themselves. They should have difficulty looking in the mirror at the end of the day. And they can yell back right now and say, yeah, but that's the way the game is played. Okay, it's the way the game is played. It's not the way the game has to be played. This is not a job. And that's the problem. You are not working a job. It is more than a job if you look at the number of hours you put in. Politicians work an immense number of hours. But this is not a job. 
You are not working a job. You are performing a service. That's what you are doing, and you are being paid for your service. You are not working a job, so your, your goal should not be to retain that job because ultimately that's where we run into trouble. When we have politicians that become focused on retaining their jobs, which is what we're going to see from the liberals later today because they're unveiling the federal budget, that's where we have the problem. And that's where we have partisan politics, and that's where we have voting on party lines, and that's where we can't get anything done. So that's something that needs to change. I don't know how to do it, because it's the internet. The horse is out of the gate, it's up the hill, it's into the woods, and it is now a woodland creature. That's what it is. You have let the horse out of the barn, out of the gate, and it's now a different horse. It's a woodland creature. I don't know if you're ever going to change it back. Ever tried to get a bunny to stay inside a barn or a fence? You gotta put a bunny in a cage. I don't know if that's the solution. We don't need our politicians in cages. But we do need them realizing they're not doing a job. This is not your job. This is not for you to, because, you know, and I don't, do we blame the pension for this? Do we blame the fact that if you can work, you, you can't have it blamed at the provincial level, but at the federal level you can. You work long enough, you get elected twice, you're set. Absolutely set. Doesn't work at the provincial level, but we still have partisan politics there. We still have voting on party lines. You're performing a service. Perform it. Don't be worried about what you're going to be doing next. You should have in mind what your next job is going to be. Because it's not this. You're not a professional politician. No one should ever look at it that way. So thank you to Al. Because he raised a great point and he said it well. And he said it right. But I don't know if we're fixing it. So we'll see where the money is allocated at the end of the day. We'll see what part of the population, the lowest common denominators, the liberals are trying to get excited so that they can get those votes and in their minds retain their jobs. That's coming later today. Details on the budget. Let's take a break. Up next, we are going to be joined by three stars from Fresh Radio. Tony, Leanne, and Liz will join us in studio. They were on the red carpet. They were at after parties. And I've always wondered, what's the red carpet like? Haven't you? How big is the red carpet? Because a lot of times, things get overblown. You know, TV can really do a lot of things. It can add 10 pounds, yeah. But it can also make something that's actually you know, kind of weird looking, like a set of a sitcom, look magnificent. Make it look like a house. Make it look palatial. So what's the red carpet like? How big is that? And how much room do you actually have to stand on the red carpet? What part of the red carpet is yours? So we'll get to those questions and then take you inside some after parties from the weekend as we completely finish up talking about the Junos. This is London Live. Great to have you with us. We are brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. And we are dealing with a whole lot of sunshine and what looks to be good weather. The rest of the way, I think it's turned. Uh, got a quick email from Ron saying the Liberal Leadership Convention. That's what he <laughs> would predict comes next. And he put LOL. Ron, thank you. Email Mike at 980CFPL.ca any old time. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980CFPL. Okay. 
Well, we have three of the stars of Fresh Radio on London Live, and they spent some time with fellow stars on the red carpet. Uh, we have to find out a little bit more about what life in behind the red carpet is. Maybe a step off the red carpet. We have Liz, we have Leanne, and we have Tony from Fresh Radio. Liz, how big is the red carpet actually? Is it a really big thing, or would we be surprised at how small it actually is? Well, first I want to say that we already like you, Mike, and you're laying on the compliments, but I do really appreciate that. You're buttering us up here. Good job. I was not on purpose. I'm honest. <laughs> I'm an honest guy. Um, the red carpet was a like where the red carpet itself was big, but where the press uh, is, it's a little bit of a, a tighter fit. Um, Leanne, Tony, and I were, you know, we got into each other's personal space, but once we uh, <laughs> accepted that that's how it was going to be, and we just you know shuffled around and made it work, that uh, yeah, it was a really cool experience. Yeah, because you work together, and sometimes I'm sure you're in meetings together, but you're not within four feet by four feet of each other. All that often, right? No, we're not usually sitting on top of each other <laughs> on the day to day. Four feet is generous. That wasn't really? yeah, it was not a big space. They to put into perspective, they had us outlined with pieces of paper where you would be standing and the pieces of paper were overlapping. Now I'm much wider than, than an, an eight I, by eleven. Uh, yeah. So wait, an eight by eleven with your name on it and that was your place to stand? It was supposed to be, but yeah. So uh yeah, so we had all together four pieces of paper representing us. Um, but somehow we just kind of dosy doed the entire time. There's a lot of shimmying saying, hey, I see a country star coming down. I see the trues coming down. Now Tyler Shaw. And we would just cycle through and rotate back and who was going to be interviewing. The best part was is other media was like, because we'd say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's like the most popular phrase of the night is I'm sorry because you're in everyone's face. <laughs> and if one person wasn't wearing deodorant, we would have known. <laughs> I'm but sorry about that. <laughs> everyone smelled amazing. <laughs> At least that's part of the red carpet. You, the shower tends to run before you get to the red exactly. carpet. Exactly. Everybody important. looked fantastic. Well, you guys did too. The social media coverage was amazing. We're talking with Tony, Leanne, and Liz from Fresh Radio. So you see people coming. How much research do you have to do to be able to pick these people out of a lineup? What if they're, Leanne, what if they're wearing a lot of makeup or or a big hat and you're not sure who it is? Well, thankfully, uh, you know, with our fresh listeners and our, and our fresh favorites that we play, we are familiar with what they look like because, you know, we see Shawn Mendes on social media all the time. Um, but uh, the, w- the way it works is they actually kind of have their representatives um, come down with a piece of paper with their name on it. And more paper. With, yep, more paper. <laughs> um, saying, hey, do you want to talk to Tyler Shaw? Hey, I've got Tessa Virtue. Do you want to talk to her? So you kind of make that eye contact beforehand. There were a few people, though, that had um, somebody had yellow face paint on that I didn't know who that was. Uh, that was the French artist who was nominated for um, oh, pop album Hubert Renoir or something. Hubert, yeah. Yellow face paint guy. Yes. A little bit like of a moment of the with the red carpet that maybe people who have never been on one wouldn't know. I didn't know is that it's a little bit awkward, you know, with some of the lesser known artists that the representative would come by holding the piece of paper and they lock eyes with you wanting to know if you want that interview. And you're like, you have to just be like kindly. Oh, no, like I'm waiting because, you know, we're each there to interview specific people. So that was a little bit of a, you know, like I wish I had prepared for everybody because when they lock eyes with you, you're like, I. Uh, I wish. I w- uh. But with How? classical artists, it was a little hard yeah. for us. 
Right. We were prepared for those ones. How long does this last? Were you there for hours? Yes. Days? <laughs> <laughs> um, hours. So I think we had to be locked in our spot about an hour before the red carpet even opened. Standing on the paper. What if you fell off your paper? Was well, that? We, a, was there someone we, there to put you back on? I don't. We didn't get to stand on paper. It was just in front of us. But uh, yeah, we had to stand in that little tiny spot. Uh, so we were there for three hours. Liz was Liz was smart though. So when uh, we are standing there, there's a, a big kind of Juno CBC sign in front of us. Yeah. yeah, barricade. So you can't really see, you know, waist down. And Liz had some really fancy shoes on that looked amazing. And then she realized. These people aren't going to be able to see my shoes. I changed my shoes behind the barricade, and I had these little socks that I put on, too, and they looked pretty ridiculous with the outfit, but no one was going to see it, so I was in a really good mood once I changed my shoes. Well, that would have been a question. really helped. Were any of you wearing big heels? Because if this was going to be ours, you know, I don't know a lot about women's shoes, but I would think (laughs) flats... Flats would be important. Leanne, you had fancy shoes on. How are your feet? My feet right now. Uh, you know, we we uh, went to a few after parties after the award show, and at that point, I thought, "Oh no, <laughs> oh no, Monday is going to be a tough day yeah. walking around." But on the red carpet itself, your adrenaline is so high, the energy in the room is just buzzing, and you're just in the moment, so you don't think about your feet at that moment in time. <laughs> Leanne, Tony, and Liz from Fresh Radio talking red carpets, and we can't let you go. Leanne, you even said it. After parties. Mm. You guys went to after parties. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> what can you tell us about what happens there? Because even on Entertainment Tonight, they always just say, well, yeah, we went to the after party, and they might have a, a little interview outside it or something. If we they tell you, if we you, tell you we, we're going to have to kill you. Really? So. <laughs> oh, How about I just give you, a, you know, an arm or a, a leg or something? Could we, could we do like a wound instead of? Um, well, I was going to say one of the after parties was actually pretty nice because you would see at events where it's uh, artists of one record company would only stay with their record company. But uh, with the Juno Awards, everyone is family. It was celebrating Canadian music. So at one of the parties, it was artists from different labels performing on the same stage and it was uh it was really nice to be a part of absolutely you you walk in and you see um you know we're, we're standing in toboggan and the arkells walk in you've got jack from the trues you see felix cartel walking around and you're like i'm i'm at this party with these people here together so it was really cool to kind of have that shared moment where you're just all celebrating and enjoying the night together now did any of them mind if as you wandered around you just bump into them and just have a chat about you know horses or kids we're, or we're canadians the like, I think that's, like, the best way to explain it. Like, I don't know about something about Canadians. We're just, we're friendlier. You didn't get the vibe that anyone's ego was so big you couldn't go just have a chat with them. That's amazing. Would you do this again? Absolutely. Yep. How about tomorrow? Um, I think Leanne's feet need more time to recover. <laughs> well, you guys did a fantastic job. Thank you for representing Chorus Radio the way that you did. And uh, thanks for spending some time on this show right here. Can I give one shout out to Lini from 980 because she had a wicked uh, outfit, but the, it was such a tight squeeze that she wasn't able to make it out onto the red carpet, but she looked amazing and represented in the media room. So. Wait, 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 wait. We need we need more of that story. She, <laughs> she Her outfit prevented her from being on the red no, carpet. No, no, no. It, it was just space and media, and I guess, I don't know how that happened, but she didn't make her way onto the carpet, 
But she was like, what a waste of a really nice outfit. So I wanted to give her <laughs> some props for it. Thank you again. Tony, Leanne, and Liz from Fresh Radio. So after parties, red carpet. Now we know if you're going to be on the red carpet as a reporter, you get your 8 by 11. <laughs> yes, 8 by 11. And that's where you stand. And they did a great job. So coming up, we are going to talk education. Now that we've educated you about red carpets and educated you about after parties and how nice Canadians continue to be, whether they are megastars at the Junos or whether they are somebody who's hanging out at Toboggan, right time, right place, and happen to get on the list. Uh, We'll talk with Bill Tucker, former director of the Thames Valley District School Board, about some of the changes coming to the math curriculum, some of the things being done with the sex ed curriculum, and just some of the things happening in the education world. So that is coming up in about 10 minutes from now as we continue on on this Tuesday edition of London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. When someone used to say autonomous vehicles, a lot of the time the reaction was, yeah, cool, can't wait, those are going to be great, man. Now, when you say autonomous vehicles, it's, well, just a second, what are these vehicles going to be doing? Where are they going to be going? Who's in these vehicles? We know that Stratford's involved in some testing, but there has been more testing going on in the U.S. Now, we've seen some things scrapped along the way, but... There is a success story that has come from ArizonaCentral.com, and it talks about Scottsdale, Arizona, great place to live, very few allergies. If you're an allergy sufferer, find a way to move to Arizona. You will not notice your allergies nearly as much. Very dry. Uh, It is the desert. Scottsdale, Arizona had the supermarket, I guess, company Kroger. We don't have them here, but they have them there, and they have... Fries stores. What's a fries store? How is this different from Kroger? So they had fries stores that offered up delivery using autonomous vehicles. And they have now made 2,000 successful grocery deliveries in Scottsdale, Arizona. No reports of people being cut off by these little autonomous vehicles. Uh, They... It's weird. They look like a little robot. It's almost like they have a face. It looks, if if you were to create a car that was a fish, that's what this looks like. It's got buggy eyes and kind of the, the fender on it almost has a smile on it. Someone has designed this to look like a friendly face. They really have. And these little vehicles zip along and they make deliveries. And it's worked out well enough that Kroger's has now decided to expand to Houston. You know that saying. Well, first Scottsdale, then Houston, then the world. That may be how this goes. That may be the direction this is headed in. But at the same time, there was a survey done about autonomous vehicles in the U.S. asking people whether or not they trusted them. And 71% of people responding to this survey said, yeah, not so much. Don't really trust them. Not really sure about these autonomous vehicles. So, yes, they're working. Trust is not there. I always struggle when you're going to buy a product or a thing in its first incarnation. If you have a vehicle that comes out and it's a brand new vehicle. Okay, yeah. Uh, I'll buy that in about three years after everybody else plays guinea pig and realizes that when you try and do something, it doesn't do it 
the way that it should. You see a lot of vehicle manufacturers taking one right now of, of their particular lines of vehicles, and they become very, very successful because all the bugs are out. It's difficult to introduce a new line of vehicles these days. And same thing with the TV. Oh, we got a new TV. Okay, I'll see you in three years. You work out the bugs, then I'll come and buy your product. I don't want to be the guinea pig. I don't want to be the guy who buys one and then says, yeah, it was, it was good for a first little while. Uh, then uh, six months in, I couldn't see half the screen. But, you know, as long as I'm watching a hockey game and they score at one end of the ice, or as long as a baseball is hit to left field, no problem. It's great. It's fantastic. I don't want that. But that's the latest. Fries. Has anybody ever been to a fries store? Can you help us out with what that is? Part of Kroger. 2,000 successful deliveries in Scottsdale, Arizona, on to Houston, and then the world. Next, we are going to talk education and some of the changes being proposed by the Ontario government. Some of the changes to the curriculums in math and certainly in sex ed. And a former director of the Thames Valley District School Board will join us to help us out. Bill Tucker, next on London Live. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. What do we always talk about as being the greatest social disease? Why do you do it that way? Oh, it's the way we've always done it. Terrible. Terrible way to live. You should always be looking and saying, how can we do this better? And sometimes better is compromised. Sometimes better is better. And it changes the way we do things. Joining us is a man who has seen all kinds of changes over his years in education. And now, with the Ontario government making use of March break to unveil some ideas like larger class sizes for grades over grade three and changes to math curriculums and the sex ed curriculum, it would be great to get his thoughts on some of these proposed changes, and some of what is going on in the education world. Bill Tucker is a former director of the Thames Valley District School Board. Bill, how are things on this Tuesday? Great, Mike. Good to speak with you again. Well, great to speak with you. When when you see changes coming, now in, in the position that you're in where they don't have full effect on you, are you interested to pour through them as opposed to, you know, what, what you maybe used to feel like? Well, you know, now I look at uh, changes from the perspective of a grandfather. So we we have seven grandchildren who are either in the public system right now or will be entering it in the next year or two. So I definitely still have an interest. Well, congratulations on that. That's uh, that's fantastic in itself. Now, when you're looking at proposed changes from the role of, of a director back when you were in that role, what sorts of things are you pouring through to get to first when you hear changes are coming? Because it isn't usually one or two things. It's usually, here's what we're doing with the system. Well, you're absolutely correct, Mike. Uh, from my perspective, there are basically three things that have to be looked at when you're looking at changes. And one is obviously class sizes in terms of uh, staffing. But you also have to take a look at what the funding announcements are going to be, what, what kind of monies are going to be flowing through the school boards. And the third thing coming up is uh, contract negotiations. So you've got a three-pronged effect that uh, impacts classroom for sure. So let's kind of begin in reverse order. Contract negotiations, um, those can't be easy, but how do you deal with those? 
Well, basically, from a school board's perspective, it's a wait-and-see approach. Uh, at one point in time, I was involved with the provincial negotiations my last couple of years as director, and it is a very lengthy, time-consuming process. And from a school board's perspective, you are operating under the former contract, but it is a wait-and-see approach. You have to take a look at what the big monies are flowing out of the government to school boards, and then once you have a handle on that, then you can start negotiating locally. So it is a very lengthy process. It's not going to be finished early, and it will uh, definitely at some point in time influence what happens in the classroom. Bill Tucker, former director of the Thames Valley District School Board. As we look at education, we look at some of what the Ontario government was discussing last week during March break. We'll talk more about math and we'll talk more about the sex ed curriculum and curriculum type stuff. But you mentioned funding and I don't even begin to know how you would budget based on funding. How do you crack that egg? Well, you know, from a school board's perspective, again, I, I remember sitting down with the senior team and you, you look at worst case scenario. And uh, that's why a while ago, a number of teachers were giving, uh, given surplus letters because boards have to look at worst case scenario. So what you do is you plan for the worst, but you hope for the best. And uh, you, you sort of do uh, a planning around what might be and you, you, you make sure there are no surprises. Uh, the surprises that you do want are good surprises when you, when you can recall teachers that have been issued those uh, surplus letters. No doubt. But when surplus letters go out, could it mean that a job for a teacher ends? Is that even a possibility? No. You know, uh, I'm hearing out of the government, first of all, a lot of changes are going to be multi-year implementation timeline. So that's good right there. The second thing is that uh, school boards are really good at planning, and Thames Valley in particular and London District are large enough that they can absorb any changes. So just because a teacher has issued a surplus letter, that doesn't mean they've lost a job. In my first four or five years as a, job, as a teacher, I was issued surplus letters every year, but they were always withdrawn, and I always had a job at the end of the day. And it just mattered where it was. You may have to drive 20 exactly. minutes further, or maybe you were saved 20 minutes in driving. Exactly. So I don't see any situation where there's going to be a teacher who loses their job. They might have an assignment change, but they're not going to lose a job. We're talking with Bill Tucker, former director of the Thames Valley District School Board. Bill, the other thing that you had mentioned, and this was addressed last week by the Ontario government, and that is class size and trying to figure out what the optimal class size is. And that's where we get into the idea that, hey, maybe we will have a surplus of teachers if they increase class size. How much discussion goes on about how big classes should be? Well, it's it's a huge discussion topic, and... It's a discussion topic that has to happen with the uh, principal of the school. I mean, the principal of, of every school has the best handle in terms of what the dynamics are and what the parameters and, and what are the issues affecting classes and class structure, class sizes, grade assignment, subject assignment. So the principals have to be involved in that discussion. Um, the other thing, too, is that, uh, you know, it's it again, it depends on those three aspects that I mentioned earlier. Uh, and the one is, what will the grants look like coming out of the government in terms of funding on a per-pupil basis? I guess the other things that did come out of last week were changes to curriculum and, and looking at changing math, looking at changing sex ed. How much leeway do boards have when it comes to curriculum? Well, you know, the province has taken over curriculum in the past uh, 20 or 30 years, and, and uh, that's, that's great. That's actually a really good news item because there's consistency across the province. So when students move from 
city to city or country to city or country to country school, uh, it's the same curriculum. So that's a good aspect. Um, in terms of the sex ed program, I'm really happy. I'm not surprised, but I'm really happy that they've decided basically to leave it intact. And in terms of the math, um, I'm not sure a lot of the math curriculum will change. I think there'll be changes in methodology and ways to teach the math. And I'm also heartened by the fact that uh, elementary school teachers in particular will have some PD around math implementation and, and strategizing for curriculum delivery. I think that's a good news item as well. When you look at math, every once in a while we'll get the results of those tests and I- I don't have them in front of me, but it always seems, oh, look, Ontario's not doing as well as this and this, and we should be doing better and that sort of thing. Do you have to make use of those statistics ever to figure out what's going on, or is that now more up to the province than ever before? Well, you know, school boards and schools use those statistics every year, and the information you get from the provincial standardized test, EQAO, is used to assess how schools are doing in terms of uh, academic growth, education of students. That's the way it should be used. It shouldn't be used as a comparator. And the reality is if parents are engaged in their son or daughter's education, their son or daughter will thrive academically regardless of what school they attend. And that's why uh, principals and teachers and faculties of education really, really hammer home the point that parents have to be involved in their son or daughter's education. Isn't that wild? You, you see it as that big an impact, just parents just caring about what their kids are doing in school. A- absolutely. And the biggest impact parents can have at home is reading to their son or daughter, especially in the early years. Uh, reading acquisition and reading preparation and reading skills and literacy are the biggest determinations of future success. Isn't that wild? So bedtime stories? Absolutely. They're a must. Absolutely, every night. Bill, it's always great talking education with you. Thank you so much for shedding some light on some of the things that are going on and stand to go on in the future. You're quite welcome, Mike. Good to talk to you again. Take care. Bye now. That's Bill Tucker, former director of the Thames Valley District School Board. And Bill has been in this long enough to know, yeah, that does have an impact. And parents who have no concern for their kids going off to school you know, that's just a way to get the kids out of their hair. That's that's the saddest thing. That is the saddest thing. And when you deal with a lot of parents now, it used to be years ago, and this has been expressed a few times on London Live, but it used to be that years ago, if a kid was in trouble, a student was in trouble, immediately the parents would side with the school. And it would be, oh, what did you do? Now there has been a shift. And it is, oh, no, 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 no. My little snowflake, they didn't do anything wrong. Oh, no, 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 no. No, you're the one in the wrong. You're doing it wrong. And that's been a big change. But it's not about, you know, getting uppity and upset with the school or with the school board. As Bill says, you just have to take an interest. And if somebody's not doing well, there's a reason for it. Maybe there is a learning disability. Maybe, maybe it's just simply you zoned out on the first day when they were covering something that was absolutely imperative for the rest of the course. You look at how important kindergarten and grade one are. And it has to do with a lot of that reading and the ability to retain information, and the ability to make use of that information. That happens early. 
So yeah, read to your kids. Comes back to the same old thing. You should have to pass a test to have a kid. It'll never work that way, but it should be a thing. Let's take a break. We'll let you know what's still ahead on London Live. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. If you were with us about 20 minutes ago, we were talking about autonomous vehicles making deliveries for fries in the U.S. and how in Scottsdale, Arizona, 2,000 deliveries done safely to the point they're going to do this in Houston. Little autonomous vehicles that look like little cute fish. There's no other way to describe it. Well, fish with wheels. Most fish don't have wheels. If you're eating a fish with wheels, don't eat that fish. But Fry's, thanks to Jeff, who emailed and said, I once went shopping at a Fry's in Dallas. Okay. And Jeff says, I purchased an iPad and a phone charger. They are an electronics store. Okay. So owned by Kroger's, but they are an electronics store. So, Jeff, thank you for clearing that up. On BBC today, there's a very interesting article dealing with surgery. How many patients... Do you think wake up during surgery? This is according to a BBC article. They do have a number of physicians quoted. Uh, They have a couple of people who have told kind of their stories about waking up during surgery. According to this BBC article, because we don't have an anesthetist with us here in studio right now. If you are an anesthetist, please let us know if this sounds accurate to you. Because you'd be in the room. And this might be a show. I don't know if you could ever record this, but this would be interesting to watch. How many, one in how many, do you think wake up during surgery? One in how many people? One in, like, one in a hundred? One in a million? So you're saying I still have a chance? No, one in 20. One in 20 patients apparently wake up, but... Very few of them will actually remember it because the, I guess, the, the substances used to anesthetize somebody have an amnesiac quality to them so that you don't remember it. So you might wake up. I don't think anybody's saying, hey, how are you? I don't think you're sitting up in bed going, how's my arm doing now? Yeah, did you get that thing out of there? Is it all? Yeah. I mean, you'd wake up, look at it, and a lot of people lie back down, fainting from a different reason. But one in 20, doesn't that sound high? Do we have any anesthetists in the crowd today who can back that up? Send me an email, mike at 980cfpl.ca. If you have been in the room and just waited for somebody to say, hey, yeah, uh, back, uh, back with you. You guys finished up there yet? I got stuff to do. Coming up on London Live, we are going to talk about what could be next for the city of London. We've hosted the Canada Summer Games. We've hosted two Memorial Cups, the World Figure Skating Championships. We have hosted Canadian Country Music Week and the Canadian Country Music Awards. We've hosted the Juno Awards. We're kind of heading up and up and up and up. Is there anything left on the top of the mountain? Would it be the World Junior Hockey Championship? Is that it on the mountain? Ron already suggested the Liberal Convention, but he was joking. What, what could there be? What are we left to host? If you have any ideas on that, you can email or you can tweet me. You can find me on, at, on Twitter at Stubbs980. You can email me, Mike, at 980cfpl.ca. We've got news coming up next. You can always call us as well, 519-643-2222. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.
Ideas on what exactly we could host next. What do you think? I like James. James says the Daytona 500. Yes. I love. See, that is the line of thinking that I love. Daytona 500. And you know what we could do? We could bring Floridian weather in for the Daytona 500 for February when it takes place. That would be great. We'll have a nice summer day. We'll put the track up somewhere. What, Victoria Park? This would be fantastic. James, I love that line of thinking. Daytona 500. Uh, Ron, again, earlier gave us the Liberal Leadership Convention and then said, LOL. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Uh, I hear there's a doctor's convention that is very worthwhile. Okay, I'm not sure. Are you a doctor? Is That that one's coming from Matt. Doctor's convention? Very worth. Okay, I, I don't know. Daytona 500, I'm a big fan of that. We'll talk more in just a moment about what could be next and what sorts of things come from hosting the Junos and doing it right. Because we have proven all the way back to 2001 and the Canada Summer Games that when it takes a volunteer base in London, you just need to say, volunteers, and they fill up. It's like when Garth Brooks used to sell out concerts in 20 minutes. Now every concert sells out in about one. But that was the fun time. Hey, Garth Brooks sold out a concert in 22 minutes. Did you see that? That's amazing. And now it's just done. Check your secondary ticket markets. Good luck. That's unfortunate. But, hey, that's kind of what we had. We had volunteers that filled up right away for the Canada Summer Games, continued through all the other events from Memorial Cup to World Figure Skating Championships, and we had the city kind of fall in line. And nobody minds the disruptions. We actually put Dundas Place into practice where you were able to walk down it at times and it was closed off as a street, but we've learned to deal with that already. And we've got tent, man, not not necessarily manufacturers, but tent rental companies. The guys setting up the tent, you know where they were back in early February? The guys that put up the big tents in front of Budweiser Gardens and off to the west side of Budweiser Gardens, they were setting up tents at the Super Bowl. These guys just go from big event to big event setting up tents. So they know what they're doing. We don't have to worry about them. So what are we going to do next? There always has to be a next. Are we to the point where the only way to go up would be a World Junior Hockey Championship? I don't know. Here's someone who maybe can shed some light on how things went and how things could go for another event. Cheryl Finn is the Director of Sport Tourism with Tourism London. Cheryl, how are things? They're very well. How are you, Mike? Not too bad. Congratulations on your role in all of what just took place over the last week. Well, thank you. I I don't know (laughs) if the congratulations in order, but I will take it unabashedly. I like congratulating everybody on this because I know that somebody may have called you or texted you at some point to say, hey, can you do this? And you would have done it. And that's kind of the way this city works, isn't it? That's exactly it. And that's that's our city. That's our office. Uh, It's all about teamwork. And uh, no, no one is an island. It uh, always takes a group of very talented, hardworking individuals uh, to pull off an event uh, of that magnitude. 
when you look at an event like that that has just gone by, and we look at other events that we have held in the sports world, hosting these events and succeeding in these events, what does that do for London outside of London? You know, it's very interesting and timely that I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you from Ottawa, where I'm attending the uh, Canadian Sport Tourism National Conference, where we have every community in uh, our country represented uh, that has a sport tourism initiative. And it's so diverse and it's so competitive. But what it does for London is it takes us to that next level where we are recognizable for that work that we, that we do and the great job we do at hosting these events. So if we were to go back in time, we may have had people who were representatives at a similar conference going up to other cities and saying, how are, how are you guys doing this? What are you guys doing? Do you now have other cities coming to you and saying the same things? Oh, 100%. And um, it's it's extremely interesting because, you know, you've got the big communities, but you've also got these communities under 30,000 people that have these initiatives that uh, we pull these best practices from. And London, as a community with best practices, is a national leader in sport tourism. We're talking with Cheryl Finn, Director of Sport Tourism with Tourism London from the Canadian Sport Tourism National Conference, which is taking place in Ottawa. So what happens at this conference, Cheryl? So I am actually the chair of uh, the Canadian Sport Tourism Alliance, which I have been honoured to be for the last three years. And at this conference, we bring together... Every community, there's almost 400 delegates that are here for the week. And we share uh, trends, best practices. We celebrate communities doing these phenomenal things uh, in terms of hosting. We recognize that sometimes things go really wrong and there are learnings that are to be taken away from that. And, of course, it's networking, 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 and working on the next one, always. <laughs> and that's kind of what we've been talking about on the show today. And we've had some great suggestions. Daytona 500, I loved. I would love to get oh, the Daytona 500. Okay. Especially in February <laughs> when it could be nice and warm. And that's, I don't know what kind of world we'd have to live in to make it happen, but I'd love for that to happen. But we have been looking at, you know, what could be next? Because we started way back in 2001 with the Canada Summer Games. Would that be kind of the event that really put that footprint down on on the old uncharted territory for London? It it certainly is. And it's so funny. Uh, This timing is perfect because that 18 years ago, that really sprung the Canadian Sport Tourism Alliance and London in terms of uh, formalizing a sport tourism initiative in our city. So we recognize that event. Uh, as legacy, as as what we're doing today in 2019, that is legacy from hosting 2001. So the work we're doing this week, my my colleague Zant Jarvis and I here in Ottawa is working on that next one. What is next? And um, of course, we we partner with uh, with London, with London stakeholders, our local stakeholders, and we build on the strength that's already there in London. We know London's a hockey town, but London's also a pickleball town. London's also really 
strong with women's hockey. London is very strong in aquatics. So there's all of these. What's great about London is our diversity in terms of, of the strength of our sport community, and we are able to build on that for sure. It is great to know that we are a pickleball town. There are a lot of gyms <laughs> that have kind of made it available, and I, you know, anybody who hasn't seen pickleball, it's a fun thing to play. We're, we're good at it as, as a city. We're phenomenal at it, and and we have very strong champions in terms of uh, voices and championing their sport in in our city. So if you don't know what it is, Google it. Um, you know, you will get to an age where you will know what pickleball is, <laughs> and uh, it is one of the fastest growing sports in North America right now. Gets you active. That's the there key. You go. Gets you active. Okay, pickleball on another day is is a great conversation. <laughs> we have seen Ontario Summer Games. We've seen uh, World Figure Skating Championships. We've seen Memorial Cup. If we're to take a shot at another big event, what is left out there? Would it be the World Juniors or Boston? Are we at that point? I, I wouldn't say World Juniors are bust. That's certainly one of several events that we're going after. I did mention the strength in women's hockey. That's certainly one uh, that we will build on, and that's being one that we're pushed both from um, a provincial and national sport organization as well as locally to explore um, a big women's hockey event. And that was that was demonstrated with the uh, event we just hosted in February. The which Rivalry Series. Up. Exactly. And sold out that event, very little marketing. That speaks to the strength of that community in London, Ontario. Okay, good, good. Now, in terms of, of having to go after big events, how much pressure is there to go after what would be considered a big event? Or can you still do things like, hey, we're going to be the National Pickleball Championships host of 2023. Can that still be a thing that you think is is important? It is important because we would host that national, which would then take us to a world. So it's important. You, do, you can't start at the Olympics, but you can certainly build to get there. So that's what we've been doing since Canada Summer Games, is, is we host Memorial Cups. We host World Under-17s. We, um, we host the uh, Para Hockey Championships because we are proving all along to Hockey Canada, which is the event rights holders, that London, Ontario can do it. We hosted the gala, um, most successful Hockey Canada gala they'd ever had. So we are proving to those decision makers that we can do it. We're talking with Cheryl Finn, Director of Sport Tourism. Cheryl, how important is that? Because, hey, if you if you host a good event, if somebody has a great party, you can say, oh, that's great, I hope they do that again sometime. But if they don't, you won't really notice it. In the game that you are in, how big is it to successfully host an event? Well, it's, it's all important because you are only known for your last event. So if uh, we all know those communities that have hosted duds, and those duds seem to hang on generationally. We in London, Ontario, I'm very proud to say, have never hosted a dud. Everything that we have done has been successful, both for the community and uh, financially, and and more importantly for those athletes and fans that come 
and experience our city as well as the competition. So, yes, I mean, you, like I said, we have to start somewhere. It's all about relationship building, and it's about trust and awareness within a community for these rights holders to bring their most valuable product and plunk it inside a city. So, yes, it's extremely important. Okay. Well, Cheryl, we could talk about this for a long, long time, but we really appreciate your time. I know you still have more to get to at the Sport Tourism Conference in Ottawa, so we'll let you go toward that. But thanks for shedding light on on some of the things for us to watch for in the future. Any other nuggets you want to leave us with? Uh, Let's just say there'll be a nice big announcement coming next week from Sport Tourism. Okay, I'm going to write this down. A nice, big (laughs) announcement. Those are three words that go well together. Coming from Sport Tourism next week. Okay. Yes, sir. Next week. talking again soon, Mike. Early in the week, late in the week? Uh, Midweek. Midweek. Okay. All right. We'll we'll hold you to that. Cheryl, thanks so much for the time. Thank you so much, Mike. (laughs) Cheryl Finn. Cheryl's always a lot of fun. Uh, Nice, big announcement coming next week. What do you think it is? James, I'm sorry, I don't think it's the Daytona 500. If I'm going to give a real guess here, probably not the Daytona 500. Although, we need that. We Can we work that? Uh, nice big announcement. Cheryl had said women's hockey. Huh? Maybe could it be, could it be something like that? Whatever it is, that's good. Nice and big are two words that go well together. So we'll wait for that announcement next week. We are also looking at, you know, what what can you do next? But the idea is, as Cheryl pointed to, you've got to build up trust. And this city has done it. And whether you have volunteered once, whether you held a door open for a dignitary because they needed to run to the store and buy buns for hot dogs, You did it. You made somebody know that London, Ontario is a great place. And so thank you, because this has been a city effort from start to finish. We've had a lot of people who've worked hard at it. But in order to get to that point, because I can't say it enough, Hockey Canada was blown away by a lot of the things. The players on Team Canada continued to talk about the treatment that they got in a 9-0 exhibition victory over the Czech Republic. This was a game that was over. People should have left. You know, players would be looking around going, what are these people still doing here? Why are they still here? It's 9 nothing. The players themselves, if they had been watching a game, might have said, you know, you want to you get to the car and beat the rush? Yeah, might as well. That's what they would do. But instead, the fans hung in there. The fans gave them a standing ovation at the end. They were still talking about that while the World Juniors were going on. And then you have the gala that brought all kinds of dignitaries, was played out at the London Convention Center, could not have gone better, and they wind up raising more money than they ever had before. I still don't know who it was that bid $35,000 on an auction item. I don't know if we'll ever see that again. It was a great auction item. It was a private jet down to the Masters, and you kind of cruise around the Masters at Augusta. So this had some, you can't do this anywhere else. You can't just show up at the Masters in a private jet and say, hey, see that uh, out there? That's me. So where do I I get my tickets? You can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. But this allowed you to do it. So 
there was money raised that they just hadn't seen before. And that's London, Ontario. And a lot of times, we don't toot our horns. We, we have that same thing that used to happen with Canadians before the 2010 Olympics. Do you remember Canada before the 2010 Olympics? You remember all of us? What did we do? Go. Go, Canada. Come on. Hey, good try. And then all of a sudden, during the Olympics, it was, hey, everybody's wearing red around here. We got some national pride. We are Canadian. We're crushing in the medals. We are Canadian. And it all changed. And London needs to experience that as well. I think we've had our moment where you look around and everybody's wearing red and everybody's realizing, yeah, we're London. We're going to get this done. And here we are. So who knows what it brings to us, but nice big announcement next week, midweek, according to Cheryl Finn, Director of Sport Tourism. We'll take a break. Up next, we will talk a little bit about uh, a big contract in baseball still to come. We're going to live the life of a hockey team for nine months, but it's not going to take us nine months to do it. I don't even know if it'll take nine minutes, but we'll live the life of what you go through in decision-making throughout a year in order to get to a good place. This is London Live and Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Budget day for the Liberals. Who are they most worried about in terms of who won't vote for them? Who is it? That's what we're going to see. It's what we see all the time. It's why politics in Canada and the U.S. is broken. You're not doing a job. You're performing a service. Somebody please send that note to the politicians. Let's go to the phones right now. Ron, how are things? Hey, Mike. They're uh, doing okay. Good. I've got a couple of suggestions for you. I'm ready. We've already got a lot of track and field stuff, like soccer pitches and um, you know, Waterhouse Arena up there at, mm-hmm. at Western. And, track and facilities. They've just redone part of it. I think the plan is to redo a little bit more of it. But we could do um, Special Olympics. I like it. And the Shriners Convention. Okay. The Shriners Convention. Because we do have... You know, and a lot of times it's not well known, but we have a great Masonic contingent here. Um, I don't, yeah. know, I don't know how the the Shriners On Street. Yeah. yeah, do do we have a lot of Shriners as well in the city? I don't know. I'm not a Shriner. Okay, but, I'm not but, either. But actually, I went to um, the zoo, not the zoo, the circus a couple times when they mm-hmm. used to hold it out at Westmount Mall. Right. That was held by the Shriners. Okay. And uh, you know what? Not only do they do fundraising. They spend a lot of money when they're in town. Absolutely, and they do it very quietly. I, these groups they are do, fantastic. Yeah. They do a lot of really good stuff, and we're, we are in the future. I, I firmly believe, and I hate to say this, but I think we're going to lose a lot with the service clubs that we have had because we've had a lot of great people doing work, and I don't know that young people quite have that kind of passion. And so to have the Shriners, to have the Masons, to have anyone who is yeah. going to do that kind of work, it needs to be done. Yeah. So... Okay, I love those two suggestions. Thanks, Ron. Yep. Anybody else with any suggestions, please email me, mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at stubs980. Yeah, I, I wonder where service clubs are headed. Are we headed to just GoFundMes? Is that what it is? I hope not, because those in themselves don't always work. There's a lot more GoFundMes that aren't hitting their targets than there are GoFundMes that are. Every once in a while, one will catch and... For whatever reason, it's like posting a video and having it go viral. For whatever reason, it'll work out. But a lot of times, they don't.
And service clubs do a lot of great work, whether it's Rotary or whether it's Lions Club, you name it. And I just wonder about the future. I don't know that young people are going to be as interested in joining and participating as people have been for decades and decades. We will still talk about Mike Trout. We've got to to look at this, not from a sports perspective, from a should any human who is performing a task or I guess doing a job in his case, should any human stand to be paid a half billion dollars for what they're doing? Is any human being, any task that, that any one person can perform, is that worth a half a billion dollars? Is it? This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Shane has another idea for an event, and this maybe could be done. Shane says, would love to see the large car shows move from Toronto and Detroit to London once in a while. Yeah, why not? I mean, we did talk with the general manager of the Toronto International Show a few weeks ago, and their floor space is massive, but we could do something at Western Fair, for sure. We could do something that spanned a few places, whether it was Western Fair, some other events at Budweiser Gardens. Yeah, that's a great idea. If you have any other ideas on what we could host next, Junos, check. Memorial Cups, double check. World Figure Skating Championship, check. Rivalry Series, we do know, if you're just joining us now, there is, according to Cheryl Finn, Director of Sport Tourism, a nice big announcement from Tourism London coming mid-next week. Don't know what it is, but we'll tell you what it is as soon as we do know. We are also going to talk in just a moment with the Associate General Manager of the London Knights, Rob Simpson. How do you know When is the right time as a manager of a team to act? How do you just say, okay, this is it. We've got this. Let's do this. He's going to take us through a season in the life, and it will not take nine months. It'll take about nine minutes. Do you want to take just a quick second? Mike Trout, you have to know this, even if you aren't a sports fan. Mike Trout has signed the largest professional sports contract in history. 12 years. $430 million. So they're going to get rid of the final two years of his contract. There have been a lot of rumors that Bryce Harper, who just signed a 13-year $330 million, boy, it'd be nice to be able to hit a little ball around, wouldn't it? He was going to try and bring Mike Trout to Philadelphia because Mike Trout's from Philadelphia. Yeah, you know what? Mike Trout probably lives in Newport Beach. Nothing against Philadelphia. It's a great city. It isn't Newport Beach. It's why James and I want to bring the Daytona 500 to London, Ontario. With the Daytona 500 comes Daytona, Florida weather. So that's why we want to bring that here. James and I are going to work on this. But Mike Trout has signed 12 years, $430 million. It just shows how much money there is in pro sports. That's what it does. We are now well over the million-dollar man. We're now well over the $10 million, the $100 million. We're approaching the half-billion-dollar man, and they're supporting it. The Angels are not worried about paying this. They will pay this. And everybody else that plays baseball, except for the people in the minor leagues, have just said thank you. The people in the minor leagues, the only people getting raises there, 
Toronto Blue Jays minor leaguers. Some survive on $1,100 a month. The difference between making that money and not making that money is razor's edge thin. And I think that's something that somehow we need a pamphlet to hand around, remember, to sports parents of any kind. Need a pamphlet saying, your kid is not named Mike Trout. Not even close. Will not be making Mike Trout money. And if it happens, it should be more of a surprise than a plan. So enjoy what your child is doing because they're not Mike Trout. Don't go thinking this is your meal ticket because it isn't. And if it is, it should be a surprise. Let's take a break. Up next, we will talk with Rob Simpson, Associate General Manager of the London Knights. Uh, A year, a season, a season in the life. Let's call it a season in the life. We'll go through the decision-making process all the way along this year to get the London Knights to where they have arrived. Number one in the Western Conference in the Ontario Hockey League, set to start the playoffs. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Getting behind the scenes can be great. We were able to do that earlier today thanks to Leanne and Tony and Liz. Found out what the red carpet was like. Tight squeeze. You don't have a lot of room on the red carpet. You've got your 8 by 11 space. That's you. After parties are good, though. Junos have come to an end. London Knights playoffs now on the horizon. And Rob Simpson is the Associate General Manager of the London Knights. And he is able to take us behind the scenes of the London Knights in 2018-19 through some of the major decisions of the year, how they came about, how they were considered, and how they worked out. Rob, is there a better time of year than right now? No, it's a great time of the year when you know you, you see what you've done the entire regular season and, and where you finished uh, in the standings and now being able to you know, get to some more important games and, and see who can play under the pressure and, and play in the big moments. And there's lots of memories that are, are made during this time, and it's pretty exciting to, to get going. And I just can't wait for Friday night to start now. Okay, let's look back before we look forward at the Knights and the Windsor Spitfires. 68 games, you win 46, 99 points, first overall in the Western Conference. If we were to go back to late August, when you were starting to piece the team together, how many of those things would have been realistic in the minds of the management group? Well, I think it was hard to judge that at that point, just because there were so many variables with our club as far as does you know, does Bouchard make the NHL? Does, does Formenton make the NHL? Does Boquist make the NHL? Uh, how does that play into it? I think when you have, you know, three-star players like that, that you're waiting to find out where they're going to be, uh, that really can change the, the outlook on your team. So did we think we had a chance to be where we're at? Yes, if we got all three of them back. But at the time, you know, you kind of have them penciled into your lineup, but it's it's a pencil that could be erased at times because you just never know. So it uh, it definitely was one that we thought, you know, we could have a very good team here this year, but it's going to be dependent on some factors that we don't really have control of. There's always that decision in junior hockey of whether or not you maybe add some pieces, add some veterans, really take a run at a championship, or whether, like last year, you take maybe a half step back in order to shoot forward for the future. Was there a day, a specific time when the decision was made for this year to say, you know what, we've got something here? I think shortly after when when Bouchard and Formington and, and Boquist were all sent back, uh, you know, that, that made our decision 
uh, least weighing in the way that you know what we're gonna we're gonna add rather than subtract this year, and that we have a chance uh, to push you know and have a very good team this season. I think once once you get those guys sent back, it it makes your decision a little bit easier. You know, through the stretch of those, you know, I think it was 15 games we won after they came back. Uh, you know, you start to see what your team is and and what you need or what you want to add coming into the trade deadline, but. I definitely those guys being sent back from the NHL team started our conversations going in the direction of we have a chance to win this year. London Knights Associate General Manager Rob Simpson with us on London Live. We'll look ahead to the Knights and the Spitfires and the start of the playoffs in a moment. It's one thing to say, okay, we've got a chance here. We think we can do something special. It's another thing to be able to engineer deals to bring in guys like Joey Keane and Kevin Hancock. How do you know when is the right time to try and make a trade? I think a lot of it is your feel when you're on the phone lines. I mean, between myself and Mark, it's, it's talking to a lot of the GMs around the league, a lot of people around the league and understanding, you know, which GMs are, you know, want to get a deal done quickly, which ones are going to wait to the end and see if they can get more at at the end, closer to the trade deadline. And I also think it's a, it's a feel as far as year to year. I mean, last year when you're, when we were, we were unfortunately trading players, uh, there wasn't, uh, you know, there was, I guess I would say less players in the market. There was some more buyers and you kind of had to have a feel of, you know, which players you had that were higher in the market that people coveted more and which players that, that maybe weren't as coveted and we're going to wait. So if you could get a deal done sooner on those players to make sure that you, you know, you got assets back in value, then you do that. And it's the same this year when you're, when you're buying, you got to read the market as far as which teams have the best players, who's all involved in those players to get them for their team and what's the best deal and the best time to strike. And it, a lot of time, it's just your feel from talking to the other GMs around the league and understanding the market as best you can. A couple of games this year really stand out. One at home to the Ottawa 67s when it was top of the West versus top of the East. And then, of course, the final game of the season against the Saginaw Spirit where you needed a win and it needed to be a regulation win or you wouldn't clinch first overall. The London Knights won both of those games. What do you take away about your team from being able to play the way they did in those games and win those games? Well, it's a big confidence boost for your group when you've been in situations like that before the playoffs, and especially the game against Saginaw, where it's a one-game play down to determine first place and home ice advantage, at least in the Western Conference. And I think that we showed a lot of resolve in those games. I think if you look at the Saginaw game, you know they came out very quick and very hard in the first period, and we were able to weather the storm and get through that. And, you know, that hardens your team for the playoffs and in future moments when you're in those situations, because you will be put in those situations throughout the playoffs. I think in Ottawa, you know, we had been up in Ottawa and lost in uh, an overtime right before the end of uh, overtime. And when we came back here, we wanted to be better. We knew we could be better. And I think our group held ourselves more accountable to play with the structure and the detail needed to win that game. And it was good confidence builder to be able to come back in our home building and, and win. So I think when you get into two tough games like that, when there's, 
you know, more on the line than just a regular season game and you win those, it definitely gives your team a, a certain amount of confidence when you go into the playoffs and you're put in those situations that you can, you can do that again and you can have success again. London Knights Associate General Manager Rob Simpson with us. Okay, let's let's look at the playoffs. You have a first-round matchup with a Windsor Spitfires team that has some dangerous players. They're young, dangerous players. But overall in the playoffs, you have been on long runs. You've been on runs that take you right to the top. 17 wins in a row. You've seen what it takes to win. What are some of the ingredients you need to have in order to be successful from this point on? Well, I think you, the first thing you need is within your within your group and within your team and your locker room. I think that everybody needs to, you know, buy into where their role is on the team, what the coaches are asking of them as far as, you know, the situations that they're going to play, the matchups they're going to play, and you know what what their key role is to be able to help the team succeed. I think that's the first step. You know, if you can get your players to buy into that and, and sometimes doing the less glamorous roles that may not make the, the highlight of the night, but at the end of the day, the coaches and the team knows is going to really help you win. Then you have the first step in the right direction. Um, then from there, obviously I feel, you know, you got to have good goaltending that that's combined, not only with the goalie himself, but also your team defense and making sure that, you manage the puck the right way. Uh, you read the clock in games and understand that if you're up one goal, you know you want to make smart plays before end of periods. Uh, just or your overall puck management and and gameplay, you know, shift to shift and how you manage that is really really key. And then execution on the offensive side. It's you know most times it comes down to you know who can win the battle five on five and then who can execute um, on their on their power play and uh, stop the other team's penalty kill. And those are the kind of the key factors that you got to look at. And in amongst all of that, the OHL priority selection, the draft, will be coming up. What did you think of the game last night between Don Mills and the Toronto Junior Red Wings that went to overtime? That was, that was a lot of fans were saying, one of the best minor midget games, one of the best hockey games they've seen. Yeah, it was an excellent game. I, I watched the whole thing last night, and... And it, it was exceptional. The pace of the game was fast. The puck movement was quick. Uh, it was, you know, filled with drama as far as the Red Wings going up early. And you thought, wow, they're going to be able to knock off the Titans that have only, you know, Tom Mills is a Titan this year and they've only lost one game. And you, you kind of start to believe that. And like they've done many times in, uh, before this year, Don Mills roars back to tie it and then win it in overtime. And it was a really exciting game. And, and uh, fun to watch because there's a lot of star players in that that game that are going to play in our league and and beyond our league and and it was pretty interesting to see two young players that are 04 birth dates be able to dominate and do very well there. Bodes well for the future of hockey, doesn't it? Yes, it does, and especially for hockey in Canada with those young players playing so well. So Shane Wright is one. Who was the other 04 birthday? Uh, Fantelli, who okay. had a couple goals in the game and played very well. All right, well, two names to get to know, there'll be others to get to know, and there will be heroes that start to step up as of Friday night that will be well-known as the Knights and the Spitfires play game one of their first-round series at Budweiser Gardens. Rob, thanks for the look back and the look ahead. Really appreciate it. No problem, Stubbsy, anytime. Rob Simpson, Associate General Manager of the London Knights. So a season in the life in about 
nine minutes. We'll take a break. We'll come back with John Stolby of Stolby's Pizza. We've <laughs> been able to fit John in today. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Tomorrow on the show, Maestro Fresh Wes. The chance to win some London Knights playoff tickets. Lots still ahead. John Stoby from Stoby's Pizza has had quite a couple of days. Arkells mentioned him at the Junos on Sunday and said they would be coming for pizza around 4 a.m. Uh, John <laughs> joins us now. John, uh, Arkells mentioned you, said they'd be coming, and they held true to their word? They did. They showed up at uh, about 11.30 p.m. and uh, uh, took a bunch of photos with the staff. Actually, to be honest with you, they just tweeted uh, uh, out a bunch of pictures that uh, they took last night in the restaurant, and uh, they signed one of our stainless steel counters. So it's been uh, kind of a surreal day. Did they stay long enough to enjoy some great Stobie's pizza? They did. They did. They were here for about uh, 20 minutes, half an hour. What did they order? Uh, I believe it was, I wasn't here actually, to be honest with you, I left about 30 minutes before they showed up, uh, but I think it was uh, some pepperoni and vegetarian is what they got. What does it mean to you to have, when someone is looking for something to, to mention about London, that they mention Stobie's Pizza? Well, uh, I was um, sitting down to watch the Junos and my son had actually just, uh, sorry about the phone if, in the back. Just, do you uh, have to get like, that? You can always no, get no, that. No, we got other people here, we got to... Maybe it's Eric Hell's calling. Who knows? But uh, no. Well, my son had said that he had a bad dream. I'm like, hey, buddy, come on. You know, we can watch a little bit of the Junos together. And uh, um, next thing you know, they had uh, started to announce nominees for uh, Group of the Year. And my son had said, I love the Eric Hell's daddy. I'm like, well, maybe they'll win. Um, two minutes later, I'm jumping like an idiot. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, like my son's got his jaw dropped. And he's like, daddy, they said your restaurant. I'm like, buddy, I have no idea what's going on. Then um, I thought it was me vibrating, but it was my phone going uh, crazy from uh, everybody texting me, and it's just been, it's surreal. It's amazing. John Stobie with us from Stobie's Pizza, and nice enough to do this just after lunchtime as well. John, we won't hold you too much longer, but in terms of your reaction, how do you put something like that into words? Uh, there's no words. I Reaction is, I didn't have any. I just, I literally jumped up. And I, I couldn't believe that they had said that. Uh, it's, I never thought it would happen in a million years. Um, I, I mean, why? Why would they? It's a great honor. Um, I guess that's it. It's, it's amazing to. Uh, um, it's amazing to hear. Uh, just a little family restaurant that uh, we just try to work hard at, and and to be put out across the nation like that is crazy. What was it that got you into making pizza in the first place? Take us back to the beginning. Well, um, it was back in 1997, and it uh, kind of starts off in a sad story. My grandmother was uh, pretty sick, and we were uh, coming down to say our goodbyes. And uh, my dad was in the military, and we lived uh, across, uh, across the country here. And um, when I came to London, we, I noticed that there wasn't anywhere to eat after uh, a few drinks we had that night. Um, mentioned that to my dad, and six weeks later, we had opened a restaurant. Uh, it's a business I've been working in my whole entire life, and uh, um, it just... You know, started off as that, and we just put a lot of hard work in, and, and here we sit, 21 years later. It's been a big name in this city for a long time. Now it's a big name in this country. Uh, enjoy everything that comes because of it. John, congratulations, and thanks for the time today. Thank you very much, and you have yourself a great day. John Stobie of Stobie's Pizza. We are out of time. Thanks to Matt McKinnis. News is next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.